Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry. Welcome back to Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. I mentioned earlier in the program that today uh, in the city of Salt Lake, Utah Congressman Chris Stewart was hosting a security summit. Uh, That summit has uh, come to an end after hearing from many speakers, uh, including the President's National Security Advisor, uh, Mr. Robert O'Brien, who joins us on the line now. Sir, how are you? I'm doing well, Lee. Thanks for having me on the show. No, I, I'm grateful to you for your time. Uh, I, I understand that you have, since the president has contracted the, the coronavirus, that you've been in touch with the president and had conversation with him. What would you discuss? Well, I, the, the first conversation I had with him after the diagnosis, I was over in Geneva. I had gone to uh, Geneva to meet with my Russian counterpart to see if we could uh, unjam some uh, arms control issues and also to deliver a message to the Russians on uh, staying out of our elections and uh, during a break in those proceedings, I had a chance to call the president. Uh, he'd been diagnosed, but he had not yet gone to the hospital, so he was still at the, uh, the White House. And he was, a- was able to give an update on what-, what we were doing and get his advice and counsel on how we should continue the talks in the afternoon. And uh, he was in good spirits. Uh, I-, I don't think he was, uh, he was happy about uh, going to the hospital, and uh, I'm-, I'm sure he's-, he's thrilled to be back home. So uh, that was the first meeting we had. And then on Saturday, uh, General Milley, Secretary Pompeo, the vice president, Secretary Esper, and I all – I gave the uh, the president a uh, briefing on national security issues, some of the challenges we're facing around the world, and a state of affairs. And, and he was in, in very high spirits and uh, and was feeling good. So I think he's back at the White House now. I talked to the chief of staff. He's doing well, and uh, he's just ready to get back to work for the American people. If I remember correctly, you yourself, sir, contracted uh, near the end of July the the coronavirus. Did you pass along any advice to the president? Well, the, the advice I gave the president, which. Excuse me, I don't think you liked hearing was uh, you got to be disconnect for a couple of days and uh, and let your body fight the uh, the virus and uh, you know read some books and uh, watch TV. But that's that, that's not the president's nature. He's a he's a pretty hard worker, you know, from early in the morning till late at night. So I'm not sure he followed the advice I gave. That was the uh, the counsel I'd give to him or anyone else who uh, contracts this thing is is you know take a few days of, of downtime and and let your immune system fight this thing. It's a it's a nasty resilient virus and you want to make sure you get over it. In terms of national security, what are the what are the you know top indicators in terms of the coronavirus that that you keep your eyes on? Well, look, we've got we've got to understand that from the start that this this virus came from China, just like SARS did, just like H one N one did, just you know, just like a number of these uh, avian flu did, mm-hmm. uh, and these have all come uh, out of China and, and infected the entire world. Uh, obviously, uh, COVID nineteen or the China virus has been the worst of all of them. 
and uh, has led to uh, uh, death and economic uh, destruction across the world, uh, not just in the United States. And so uh, we're obviously keeping an eye on it. We're, we're trying to help our, uh, our our partners and our friends in countries around the world that need assistance with health care. We're making sure the PPE is getting delivered to them. We stood up a domestic manufacturing base for uh, making ventilators, manufacturing ventilators, and have given out over 16,000 ventilators to countries across them, from the Pacific Islands to African countries to Latin American countries, Asian countries that, that needed the ventilators to uh, to help fight the virus. And uh, and we also want to make sure that um, uh, countries are able to come out of this economically. And so uh, at a time when, uh, uh, when when folks are struggling around the world and, and here in America, we're, we're attempting to make sure that the American economy comes back in a V-shaped recovery, and it, it has been so far. Uh, but that also that that recovery helps lift the uh, uh, the tide for our, our friends and allies, uh, especially the countries where people are are most poor and most vulnerable, and in Latin America, Asia, Africa. Yeah, thank you. D- during your address today, during this uh, security summit hosted by Congressman Chris Stewart, uh, you you talked about a, a failed policy or a failed approach of the past, uh, which uh, leaned mostly on just trusting uh, the goodwill of the People's Republic of China, that we had granted many concessions, that there had been uh, much hope that their behavior would be corrected through the natural transit of time. Uh, and yet we are finding uh, that they continue to uh, you know, steal intellectual property uh, and do other, take other actions that are injurious to the United States economy and even security. You, you talked about uh, China's intentions as well. Talk to me about what you've observed or what you believe to be China's intentions with regard to the United States. Well, look, we, we've seen for many, many years, uh, really since President Nixon opened uh, the United States relationship with the People's Republic of China, that the, the consensus among the elite was that if we allow China to come into the WTO, even if they don't honor their pledges, if we give them most favored nation trading status, even if they don't respect human rights and uh, civil society, if we allow them to have membership in the World Bank, even though they are not going to uh, follow the rules uh, of the World Bank. If we do all these things, China will become richer. Uh, China will become more prosperous. Their middle class will develop, and they'll become more liberal. They'll become more democratic. They'll become more like us. And, and what we found is that the Chinese Communist Party never had an intention to, to change. They've become more totalitarian. Uh, they've put together a surveillance state, the likes of which the world has never seen, and which even George Orwell, when he wrote 1984, probably couldn't have imagined uh, you know, 60, 70 years ago when he wrote the book. Uh, and, and, and I think we've had to have President Trump has been the first president to take to look at China with clear eyes and realize they're not going to stop uh, unless we stand up for ourselves. They're not going to stop stealing our intellectual property. They're not going to stop unfair trade practices and currency manipulation and, and dumping of, of Chinese products here in America. And on the security front, uh, we've seen what they've done. They've tried to annex the entire South China Sea. It's a massive swath of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, they've they've been bullying uh, Taiwan. Uh, they, they passed a national security law, which basically ended the democratic experiment that was Hong Kong. And so, so we had a, we, I think the president's had a very clear-eyed view of what's happening with China, and, and and America has to stand up for itself, stand up for our allies and our partners, and and make sure that uh, we can protect our way of life uh, from a very different uh, way of life that, uh, that that takes place in China. 
We're speaking with Robert O'Brien, President Trump's national security advisor, who is here in town in Salt Lake City to participate in a security summit hosted by Congressman Stewart. Uh, this morning, sir, during your address, you described uh, something I had never before heard of, and it is a uh, essentially a debt scheme where uh, the People's Republic of China exerts control and influence over other countries by entangling them in debt. Uh, you know, and, and infrastructure products. Will you d- describe that and what it means? Sure. The, the Chinese have a major development program, which is basically their way of extending their influence all across the world called One Belt, One Road. And under One Belt, One Road, China comes and offers uh, oftentimes third world countries, but countries that are hurting or, or, or need uh, investment. They offer them loans, but the loans are very opaque. They're often a high interest rate. And then those loans are to be used to build the infrastructure of, that, of the country. Now, oftentimes there are bribes and there's corruption that's rampant when these one belt, one road. So whoever the leader is or the dictator is of the African or Asian or Latin American country that, uh, that takes that money, a lot of it's filtered off and the Chinese turn a blind eye to it. And then they build these projects. But they don't, they don't employ locals. They don't uh, help the skill set of the countries in which they're, they're giving these loans. They bring in Chinese workers to build uh, projects. Oftentimes the projects are stadiums or uh, white elephants, the quality's not great. But at the end of it all, the country owes the Chinese a massive debt, and uh, oftentimes at high interest. And then that debt is something that the country has to struggle to service. And, and if they if they don't uh, service the debt or they, they don't do what the Chinese want them to do, either with votes at the U.N. or, or supporting Chinese foreign policy, uh, uh, then, the, then the Chinese can demand repayment for the debt and can, and can squeeze them. And so We've had numerous countries come to us uh, who've said, look, we're in terrible debt to the Chinese. If you pay it off for us, uh, if the American taxpayer will pay off the Chinese, uh, we'll never do anything with the Chinese again. And uh, obviously we can't do that, but we do uh, try and shine a light on Chinese practices and and let countries know that there's a better way. We have something called the Blue Dot Initiative in the Indo-Pacific where uh, countries, if they want to do infrastructure projects, will hire uh, certified contractors. And it doesn't have to be American. It may be Japanese or Australian or uh, companies from Indonesia, companies that are that, that don't engage in corruption, uh, that, that have have high skills for building, and then we'll use local employees and and um, uh, the the indigenous people to work uh, of that country to work on uh, on these projects and learn skills and help the economy, and and then end up with a great project at the end of the day that's not burdened by uh, usurious debt and and that doesn't you know, doesn't make that country a pawn of the Chinese, and so. You know, we're, we're fighting it. Our allies are fighting it, but it's a uh, uh, it, it's something we've got to be very concerned about. But especially the some of the developing countries of the world need to be very concerned about what it means to uh, uh, to take the Chinese money, it, and it uh, usually doesn't end well for them. Mr. O'Brien, our time has come to an end. I wish I could speak with you all afternoon here. I have a long list of questions, uh, but thank you for for sharing these little 10 minutes with us. You have an important job, uh, and your time, I know, is valuable. I'll let you get back to it. Uh, Again, Robert O'Brien, U.S. National Security Advisor for President Trump. Thank you for your time. Great to be with you, Lee. Thank you very much. Have a super day. You do the same. We're going to take a quick break right now. And when we return, we are going to continue uh, the conversation surrounding national security. Congressman Chris Stewart will be uh, my guest. He uh, invited the security advisor here to Utah to participate in a summit which has just wrapped up. Uh, We'll get reaction from Congressman Stewart next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. 
Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. This is Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry from Utah's Capitol Hill to your schools, Texas, and all the breaking news. Hear it on Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Just after 1 o'clock, 107 now is the KSL News Time. Uh, very honored to be joined by Utah Representative Chris Stewart, a member of the China Task Force. We've had lengthy discussions with the congressman about the work done by the task force. Uh, also a member of the House Intelligence Committee, the House Permanent Select Committee uh, on Intelligence. Uh, very important roles, especially in terms of national security. So it's only appropriate that it is Congressman Chris Stewart hosting uh, a security summit uh, here in the state of Utah, where he has brought together uh, a number of individuals. First off, let me uh, welcome Congressman Stewart to the program. Sir, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on once again, Lee. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, you today, as you hosted this security summit, you brought together uh, some interesting people. We just had a conversation with the National Security Advisor to the President. Uh, also participating in today's discussion was uh, Representative Steve Womack, ranking member of the House Budget Committee, uh, as well as uh, Ambassador Ye Samaki uh, and Andy McCarthy with the National Review. Talk to me about uh, what brought all these individuals together. What's the tie that binds? Well, you know, we, we call this the, the Security Summit America's role in the world, and, and that's fairly broad, and we did that on purpose because we, we recognize that if you talk about America's role in national security, you have, to, you have to recognize that there's different elements to that. So, for example, Steve Womack, great friend of mine, uh, ranking member but used to be chairman of the Budget Committee, I mean, there's no one who's more engaged and more engaging on the issue of our debt and our spending and, you know, the, the catastrophe that awaits us if we don't at some point take a serious, make a serious effort to actually control our debt and our spending. Well, that has obvious national security implications. Ye Samaki, a friend of mine, he, he actually graduated from BYU, ran for president of Mali, he's ambassador of Mali, or from Mali to India. Uh, he makes a very emotional, very persuasive argument for uh, Mali is a good example of nations around the world that are counting on the U.S. They're relying on the U.S. And, and Ambassador Smaki said something that I've said many times. He says, if you guys stumble, uh, we fall underneath you. He says, you're the glue holding holding many of these countries together. And and then, you know, uh, Andrew McCarthy, who's done some of the best reporting, I think, in the country the last three or four years, you know, the topic he addressed was, well, that necessity, the absolute necessity of having a free and a responsible press. And if you have a, a, a nation that doesn't know what's true anymore because the press is doing such a horrible job of reporting the truth and sometimes actively deceiving people, well, again, that has enormous national security concerns. And then the last one, obviously, Robert O'Brien, great friend who's the president's closest advisor on national security. Congressman? Yes. 
Oh, I, I, I thought uh, I thought we lost you there uh, for a second. Yeah. Let me let me ask you this question as we move forward. That you have uh, repeated a phrase sometime, which has uh, caught my ear, and it remains with me. And I think about its implications and its unfortunate reality. And it is that uh, we are becoming here in this nation uh, at least a, a place where it's controversial to say that our country is good. And that reality, which I agree with you, is a reality. You find yourself in circumstances sometimes where uh, if you were to say something like that, you would be met with ridicule and disdain. Does that reality uh, have national security implications on its own? Well, it may be the, the key to national security. And that is, I, I understand that China is a generational existential threat to our children. I understand that Vladimir Putin's a KGB thug. And he considers the fall of the USSR, you know, the greatest geopolitical uh, atrocity of, of his life. He's clear on that. I understand that Kim Jong-un in North Korea, again, all of these all of these foreign threats, but all of them pale to the one threat that I think is the, the one that could really lead to the demise of this country. And that is if we commit national suicide. And if we do that by deciding America's not good, America's not worth defending we should teach our children about the stain of America rather than about the greatness of America. And, and there's a concerted, dedicated effort to do that. And how can you have a nation survive that its own people think isn't worth defending? If we cross that threshold where the majority of people actually believe that, then how could we possibly survive that? And so, you know, you're exactly right. It has enormous national security concerns because as long as we're strong and united— Russia and North Korea and China and everyone else is going to leave us alone. But if they see us divided and weak, that's when they will act. And that's the, uh, the kind of the domino that's got to fall in, in order to lead to not just a very bleak future if we don't, uh, if we don't arrest that. And we will. Uh, and that's, that's the, the key to this. I mean, we can, we can save our country. We will save our country. Uh, the 21st century isn't going to be a, a century of America's fall and demise. It's going to be a, a Congressman, as we spoke with Robert O'Brien in the segment just uh, before, he used a, a phrase, and you have used it yourself now, uh, and it is that we are facing an existential challenge, that we are facing an existential threat uh, when it uh, comes to uh, both the the intentions of China and threats elsewhere. Uh, l- let me ask you uh, if if we are if we don't respond appropriately to this uh, this challenge, uh, what is the what are the consequences? Oh, I, I just got word uh, the the call dropped. My apologies uh, to you, listeners. We'll try to get the congressman back on the line with just a, a few moments left, and I'll ask him uh, this question: If in fact we are facing an an existential threat, uh, Congressman, do I have you back? You got me back. I'm sorry. I don't know how long I talked to myself, but uh, no, I apologize you, for phone service. No, you're fine. Uh, and we can, uh, on the break, speculate which uh, which country has hacked our phone lines and is trying to bring this yeah. conversation to a close. Uh, we have about a minute left. Uh, during his address, uh, during your security summit, uh, National Security Advisor O'Brien, he used the phrase existential challenge and made reference to an existential threat. You've, sir, used that phrase here yourself. Let me ask you, if we, in fact, are facing an existential threat, a threat to our very existence, what's the worst case scenario if we don't respond appropriately? 
Well, I mean, in the worst case scenario, which I don't believe at all will happen, was that China would accomplish their goal of dominating the world and being the single most uh, powerful nation, not only in their sphere, but actually in the world. And we know what that means. I mean, they dominate their people. They repress their people. They've got millions of their own people in essentially concentration camps. They, they lie. They steal. There's nothing that matters in China other than the Chinese Communist Party. So we know what that means. But, uh, but again, I don't believe that will happen. You know, the China Task Force, we had 430 recommendations. Two-thirds of them, Lee, are bipartisan. A third of them have already passed through Congress under Speaker Pelosi, I mean, under Democratic-led Congress. We still were able to get a third of those through so far. And I think that's a good indicator that we can identify the problem, we can identify what it's going to take to correct it, and we can work together when it comes to these types of threats there isn't a Republican and Democrat. There's a there's bipartisan support for doing the right thing to secure our country. Congressman Stewart, our time has expired. Thank you for sharing some of your day with us here on the program. Thank you for hosting this security summit. Look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you, sir. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.